Uh, we want to give you parents heads up. We're going to be looking at a video at the end of this message that has some disturbing images in it. So if you have kids that are children's church age, we would encourage you to let them go uh, now for that. If you have your Bible, go with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, we're going to be in verses 15 through 20. We looked at this passage last week. And uh, on the subject, religious pied pipers, those who speak in the name of Christ but are not actually teaching what Christ taught. So let's read this text and then we'll get started. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 15, Jesus says, beware of what? False prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous or ravening wolves. You will recognize them or you will know them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every, notice, no exceptions, Jesus says, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, or therefore, you will, Jesus saying, not maybe, but you will recognize them or know them by their fruits. What Jesus is doing here is he's letting us know that if you're going to be my follower, you have to be aware of imitations. Now, last week we looked at some of the ripoffs that we have in just culture today. You can go to flea markets and you can find fake Oakleys known as Folkleys. You can go to flea markets and you can find fake Rolexes, Folexes. I don't know exactly what you would call those, but here's the thing. You don't rip off something that's that's lame. You rip off something that's awesome, right? And so Jesus, if it's true what he taught, that he is the son of God, that he is the Christ, he's the Messiah, he has the ability to change any person's life. If it's true that he's coming again, if it's true that he's God in the flesh, that's pretty awesome. That's full of power. That's something that has changed the course of nations. And Jesus says, and by the way, as I bring this sermon to a close, I want to warn you for ripoffs. Not only rip off Christianity, but those who will come in my name and not only say I'm Jesus, but there are some who are even slicker than that. Then today's culture, if somebody comes to you and you say, my name is you, my name is Jeff. And you say, what is your name? And they say, my name is God. You think, where did they escape from? Like you're looking for, for people who are trying to get them back in a straitjacket. Someone, you say, well, what's your name? And they say, I am Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You're thinking, you're crazy. Like no, none of us are like, oh, okay, I think I've heard of you. Is that your Bible that I have? No. no. We understand in our culture, somebody who tries to say straight up, I am Jesus. We're like, no, no, you're like, no offense, but you're not. Like you're not. You're not God. You're not Jesus. But there are the slickest ones who come in the name of Christ and they say, this is what Jesus said. This is what the gospel is, but it's not actually the gospel, but it really looks good. R.C. Sproul, the great Christian theologian, said this. It seems that the only real and intolerable heresy today is the despicable act, get this, of calling someone a heretic. 
In our culture today, we're cool with whatever, but whenever we start to like call people out automatically, and this usually goes with our generations, usually the younger it goes, the more we react to this, the more we react to, you know, you shouldn't be really calling people out. You may be called a hater. You may be called intolerant, a jerk, like that's per- that person that's just difficult to deal with. So here's the thing that we have to be on guard for. Number one, we all know somebody negative, right? Like we all know that person, they're negative about everything. They criticize the food. They would criticize a preacher. They would criticize a church. If you gave them a ball bearing, like a ball bearing, they would have it flat in 30 minutes. Just negative. Y'all awake this morning? I mean, they're, they're just, they're just cantankerous. They'll complain about anything. And often when we read the words of Jesus and we see how direct he is, sometimes culturally, especially those of us that are younger, is we can react because we don't want to be that person we see on TV that's negative about everything. We don't want to be that complaining neighbor who complains about everything. So it's a difficult thing. All right. Number, and, and secondly, not, Not only do we have to understand our culture, but we have to understand that when we talk about what we're going to talk about today, and we're going to talk, we're going to call people out by name. It is not a personal attack. We all on the same page there? There's nothing in Jeff's heart. There's nothing in Rocky Mount Baptist Church that simply wants to be a shot jock and call people out and make people feel dumb for listening to certain people. That's not the point. And what we're going to really hone in on today is what's called the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel simply says the gospel, yes, is so God can change your heart, but it's also so that you'll be healthy and wealthy. The prosperity preachers say that it's God's will that all of us have good health and enough money. Before we attack that lie, let's just take a step back and let's be honest. For us to attack prosperity preaching, we need to come before God and examine our hearts for materialism and greed. How many of us this past week have thought far more about the stuff that we have or the checks that we're making or the retirement that we're trying to beef up or the vacation that we're going to be able to enjoy stuff? It's very easy in evangelical Bible-believing churches to talk about the crazy prosperity preachers. But what we have to do and what I have to do is to be honest and come before God and say, God, search my heart and know me and see if there is any wicked way within me. Because cheating on somebody's spouse, our culture is like, that's not okay. You know, child abuse, our culture is like, no, it's not a good thing. But in our culture, very few of us will say, man, you know what? I'm greedy. Like, I've been thinking a lot about stuff this week. You know what happened in most prayer groups? Everybody would stop and be like, okay, all right. Like, that's the hidden sin of greed. So so let's take that into account that when we call out prosperity preachers for preaching that the gospel is equal to good health and good financial well-being, that our hearts are clear of greed. Not only that, if we backed up just a few verses, Jesus says there um, in the first five verses of Matthew chapter 7, remember when he talked about uh, beware of trying to take out the speck that's in somebody else's eye and you have a what in your own eye? You have a log. So you're like, okay, Jeff, are we going to even preach this sermon at all? 
Like, like we all struggle with materialism to some degree. Like we all have thoughts of greed and so forth. And then here's Jesus saying, be careful when you try to call out stuff in other people's lives. Because you may just be knocking everybody out with this log that's sticking out of your own eye. So does that mean that we never call a spade a spade? Does that mean that we never speak out and say, God says this, but you're saying this, God is right and you're wrong? No, in fact, when we come to God and we ask him to humble any pride that we have to remove that, and we come to him earnestly begging for the truth, we are able to speak the truth in love, we're able to call out error, but without doing it as we are the ones who are in the place of God. So I just want to preface what we're going to talk about this morning with that. We want to approach this with humble hearts. Let me give you several texts on why we're doing what we're doing today. Romans chapter 16, verses 17 and 19. The Bible says, I appeal, I, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause, what? Divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. If you are caught up in the prosperity gospel, that is a an obstacle to getting to Jesus. It says, avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Titus chapter 1 and verse 9, the Bible says, he must hold firm, speaking of the man of God, to the trustworthy word as taught. So that, here's the purpose, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to what? Rebuke those who contradict it. So that's my job. Acts chapter 17, verses 10 and 11. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews who lived in this town called Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why? They received the word with all eagerness. But what did they also do? Examining the scriptures to see whether these things were so. And if you've been in church for a while, you've probably heard the term Berean Christian or a Berean. That simply means a Christian that says, okay, you say this, but let me actually go to the Bible and see what the Bible has to say about what you say the Bible says. We still on the same page? In other words, this is the source of truth. And some, some of us, we say, you know what, Jeff, why, why is this such a big deal? Why is this a big deal? Well, because there's something called reality, and the choices that we make are going to determine not only where we spend eternity, but how things go here. If Jesus is the Son of God, if the gospel is not just about good health and money, but it's about repentance and coming to God and giving Him our lives, asking to be saved and we think that it's about money and health, then we're going to miss the whole point of life. There's a statement we're going to have on the screen here about the difference between heresy, straight-up heresy, and unbalanced teaching. Let's just look, look at this together. Unbalanced teaching is not the same as blatantly false teaching. False teaching is blatantly denying the truth. Or claiming things as true that are actually false. For example, Jesus' brother uh, was Satan. The Mormons claim that. That is blatantly false. On the other hand, unbalanced teaching is neglecting to talk about all things that are true. It's basically only telling part of the truth. We can look at it like this. Have you ever sat under, under preaching and it's like hell every week? With the same sermon. 
Hell. Hell. Every single week. Or the return of Christ. Every single week. Or the love of God without ever talking about hell. And people come in week after week after week. They don't even know hell's in the Bible because the preacher never talks about it. We're going to address both kinds. We're going to address, first off, the blatantly false teaching uh, that is on a lot of Christian television today. And then we're going to end the message with a look at unbalanced teaching. It's not denying the truths of the Bible, but it's simply guilt by omission. That's what Jesus says, once again, Matthew 7, beware of false prophets. And he says, you will recognize these false prophets by the fact that they sound Christian. They're Christian actions, seemingly, and they're Christian language. So we're going to look at a short video clip here of Larry Hutch and Paula White on Christian programming uh, about Jesus is not the only son of God. Let's go ahead and roll it understand that, that that when jesus christ paid the price the first thing that happened after he said it is finished is the veil was rent from top to bottom signifying that no man could do that but the price that was paid was there's now no separation so that we have direct access in the holy of holies we understand according to hebrews that jesus is our high priest Absolutely. and he's the first of many brethren which means i now come into a priestly anointing so i now can say walk, that again because I they don't get it. I now come into a priestly anointing. Jesus is not the only begotten on. Son of God. He is not. I'm a Son of he's God. He's the first fruit. You, you're the, he's the first fruit. He's the firstborn of many. Jesus is not the only begotten on. Son of God. We... Just so you know, that's not correct. Imagine you're just getting plugged into church and you say, I want to learn about Jesus. You turn on quote unquote Christian programming and you hear this and apparently they've never seen John 3.16. That basically says Jesus is the only begotten son of God. See, the Bible tells us that we are God in God's family by adoption. He adopts us through saving us. But it doesn't mean that we're like Jesus part two. There's also something called the little God's doctrine. This will blow, uh, if, by the way, if you know, if you're sitting next to somebody and they love Jesus, but they are loving Jesus and they are the passionate type of person, you may need to have the hand on the arm because this next one may make them go a little crazy. Um, Benny Hinn, let's just call, call the name. Benny Hinn, um, if you don't know who Benny Hinn is, uh, He's the guy who is well known for slaying people in the spirit. Have you, have you seen that on TV before? Uh, to where he will pull off his coat or sometimes just do a gesture with his hand and yell the word fire. Now, I was never told that it's okay to yell fire in a crowded building. But he yells, some of y'all get that, he yells fire. And, and he will flail um, the coat or his arm. And there's actually a video uh, called Benny Hinn, let the bodies hit the floor on YouTube. And it has over 5 million. And those of you who have sinned and watched that video and enjoy it, it is the song, let the bodies hit the floor. And he's just slaying all of these people. And the question, if you're new to the Bible, if you're just trying to, to learn about Christ, you say, is that actually Christianity? Guess what? There's nothing in the Bible that speaks of slaying in the spirit. It's simply not 
there. So us being Bible-believing Christians, we don't come to the Bible saying, let's create what we think is cool and enjoyable to watch on TV or YouTube. We have to say, what does the Bible say? Now, there is one example in the Bible of people falling down. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and when Jesus said, I am he, it says they all fell down on their faces, like it just dropped them. Just the power from the word of his mouth. But nothing like what you see on Christian television. Benny Hinn has claimed that there was an image of Jesus that appeared on the wall of his church and stayed there eight weeks. And the mouth of Jesus would move. Catch this. Only, quote, when I was preaching. That's more extreme than our Roman Catholic friends who believe that the Pope is the vicar or the representative of Christ on earth. That's basically saying that Jesus speaks when Benny speaks. So let's roll the next clip. Within me is a God-man. Say it again. Within me is a God-man. Now let's say even better than that. Let's say I am a God-man. When you say, I'm a Christian, you're saying, I am Mashiach in the Hebrew. I'm a little Messiah walking on earth, in other words. The new creation is just like God. May I say it like this? You are a little God on earth running around. Say after me. According to Benny Hinn, you are a little God on earth running around. And the word that he used from the Hebrew, Mashiach, that's the Hebrew word for Messiah. He says, I am a Messiah. Uh, Newsflash, I am not a Messiah. You are not a Messiah. The Bible tells us that if we are saved, we are ambassadors of the Messiah. You see the difference? We're not little gods. And for uh, the next clip, uh, Creflo Dollar is said by one uh, preacher that Creflo Dollar is the most aptly named of the faith and prosperity teachers. Um, But Joyce Meyer, those of you who follow her, uh, there are many uh, instances where she basically... uh, says what Creflo says in this next clip, and uh, it's very, very shocking. So let's roll it. In verse 26 and verse 27, God now submits himself to this principle of everything producing after its own kind. And in verse 26 and 27, let's read it out loud. Ready? Read. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. Now that's interesting because if everything produces after its own kind, we now see God producing man. And if God now produces man, and everything produces after its own kind, if horses get together, they produce what? And if dogs get together, they produce what? If cats get together, they produce what? But if the Godhead gets together and say, let us make man, then what are they producing? They're producing gods. 
Now, I got to hit this thing real hard in the very beginning because I ain't got time to go through all this. But I'm going to say to you right now, you are God's, little g. You are God's because you came from God and you are God's. You're not just human. The only human part about you is this physical body that you live in. The real me. For those of you that are thinkers, this is a non sequitur of epic proportions. God creating humans is not the same thing as dogs procreating and producing other dogs. And I think we have most of our children out. Um, let's just be honest. When the Bible speaks of God creating humans, he was not some hermaphrodite cosmic deity that got together with himself and produced little godlets. Too much? That's the logic? The logic was let us get together and produce. No, the Bible tells us that there is one God. And in the beginning chapters of the book of Genesis, who was the one character who put it in the mind of Adam and Eve that if you eat of this fruit, you will be like God. This is false teaching. Brothers and sisters, this is wrong. It is not what the Bible teaches. And the Bible tells us that we are saved by adoption. We are God's creation. He created us ex nihilo out of nothing. He didn't give birth in some bizarre, physical, spiritual type of way so that we're, in the words of Benny Hinn, little gods running around. This next clip that we're going to see, we're seeing a trend of the deification, the lifting up of mankind, and the lowering of God. Let's roll this clip by Joyce Meyer. Let's go to what the Bible says. The Bible says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make God what? A liar and the truth is not in us. Listen, out of a pastor's heart, do not put yourself under regular teaching by someone who thinks that they've no longer, that they no longer sin. Can we be very honest for just a moment? The point that Jeff Robinson starts teaching that he is no longer a sinner is the point to where Jeff Robinson is self-deceived. Because the more we learn about God, the more we realize that we're a sinner. You see, the more we come out of the darkness into the light, the more we notice that we are disheveled and jacked up. But the more we think that we are without sin is the farther we are away from God. So there's basically two ways to deal with our sin. Number one is to deny it. And the other one is to confess it and ask God to cleanse us from it. And when she said, 
You cannot be a sinner and a righteous at the same time. That is an absolute misunderstanding of what the New Testament teaches. The New Testament teaches that we are sinners. We are sinners. We are born into sin. We are sinners by nature and by choice. But through what Jesus did for us on the cross, we are declared righteous. By what Jesus did on the cross, by being the substitute, being tortured to death, dying for our sins, his sacrifice is applied to our account. It's kind of like we are in debt to God. We can't pay the debt back. But someone else comes in and writes a check to us with our name and the amount that we owe so that we can go free. We're still in debt, but because of what they did, our debt has been paid. Because of what Jesus did, we are, a, as the old song says, a sinner saved by grace. And speaking of people being bad people, let's roll the next clip. And in dealing with people for several years, thousands of people, one thing I can tell you is 99.9% of people are not bad people. They may make poor choices, but deep down, they've got a good heart. And in de- of people have a good heart. There's just one problem with that. It's not what the Bible says. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? If you want to make a note in your Bibles and read Romans chapter 3 this afternoon, Romans chapter 3 is a smack in the face of every self-professing, dignified, and moral person. And you know what it basically says? You're all sinners and you're all on your way to hell. There are no good people. We clear? That's what the Bible says. And then this is possibly the most bizarre clip, and then we're going to move on. Um, as to what prayer actually is. Let's roll the clip. We get the mind of God about His will. We pray it. When we pray it, we give Him legal right to perform it. Yes. Let me define prayer for you in this show. Prayer is man giving God permission or license to interfere in earth's affairs. In other words, prayer is earthly license for heavenly interference. That's incredible. That is incredible. God could do nothing on earth. Nothing has God ever done on earth without a human giving him access. So he's always looking for that somebody. Always looking for a human to give him power, permission. In other words, God has the power, but you get the permission. God got the authority and the power, but you got the license. So even though God could do anything, He can only do what you permit Him to do. Some of y'all are shaking your heads. As if you did not know, quote, that prayer is man giving God permission or license to interfere in earth's affair. Listen, God can do what God wants to do regardless if you or I give him so-called permission. And are you, are you noticing a trend with this? And by the way, some of these clips are a few years old. Some of them are very recent. It's a trend to raise up us and say that we're the ones who really call the shots. 
and to take God down. And for those of you that study your Bibles carefully and you're wanting to learn more about who God is, something you see from Genesis to Revelation is that God is absolutely and totally sovereign. That means that he's in control. That means that he knows the future. That means that he's working all things toward the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. What we're often taught from the word of faith preachers and prosperity preachers is that it's all dependent upon your faith. And I like what one one man said. His name is Justin Peters. In fact, his information is there on the bulletin if you want to go check out his full seminar. He has the palsy. And he's able to preach from his wheelchair. And he made a statement I'll never forget. He says, if you have enough faith to be saved, don't ever let someone tell you you don't have enough faith to be healed. Amen. So it's an eradication of the sovereignty of God. And prayer, just to make sure that we nail it down, is not us giving permission to God. Prayer is us offering ourselves to Him and asking Him to do His will in our lives. Let's roll the next to last clip. Total victory. I want you to get that down on the inside. Not partial victory to where we have a good family, we have good health but we constantly struggle in our finances. That's not total victory. If God did it for you in one area, He can do it for you in another area. Get a vision for it. Don't get stagnant. I know people that have plenty of money. They have good health, but they can't get along in relationships. There's always strife in their home. That's not total victory. Maybe God's blessed you and you have a good family, a good job, but you've had pain in your body for years and years. You used to stand against it. You used to believe you could be free. But now it's been so long, you've just decided, this is my lot in life. Joel, I guess this is my cross to carry. See, too often we accept things. Defeat, mediocrity, addictions. People tell me, Joel, that's just who I am. But with all due respect, that's not who you really are. You are a child of the Most High God. He has paid the price so that we may be totally free. That means free from bad habits and addictions, free from fear and worry, free from discouragement and depression, free from poverty and lack, free from low self-esteem. God wants us to be totally free. And the scripture tells us to take hold of all Christ died and rose again for. It all starts right here. You've got to know that you not only have a right to be free, But God's already empowered you with everything you need to overcome. You need to start seeing yourself the right way. You are not a sick person trying to get well. You are a well person fighting off sickness. God made you healthy and whole. Our original state is total freedom. If you're going to be free, you need to know who you are. You're not just anybody. You're a child of the Most High God. He has breathed His very life into you. You have His royal blood flowing through your veins. It's the blood of a champion. You're not ordinary. You come from great stock. Your heavenly Father spoke the worlds into existence. Long before you ever got here, He was thinking about you. And let me assure you, He didn't create you to be average. He didn't create you to barely get by, to have all kinds of things holding you back. You've got to get the right vision. God created you to be totally free, to have peace in your mind, to walk in divine health, 
to have good relationships, to have plenty to pay your bills. God created us as victors and not victims. Fight the good fight of faith. Know who you are, the seed of Abraham. You have rights and privileges. One of those privileges is total victory. We're supposed to be unquestionably free. That means free in our mind, free from worry. We're not all upset. We know God is in control. He has us in the palm of His hand. Free from poverty and lack. No matter what the bank account looks like, our attitude is, I know I am blessed and I cannot be cursed. Whatever I touch is going to prosper and succeed. Total victory. I want you... Y'all excited? Encouraged? Sounds good. Joel Osteen's an incredible communicator. Encourager. But there's something missing in that message. And those of us that are looking at our Bibles, we have to ask the question, if it's biblical, if it's what the Bible teaches, if it's what God said, it can't just work here in America. It's got to be able to work in Colombia, in Sudan, in Iraq, in China, in Germany, in Chile. It's got to be, if it's God's message to the world, it has to be able to apply universally. And to tell people that basically, because they're a follower of God, that everything is going to be fine, doesn't add up to, number one, the Bible. Most of the prophets in the Old Testament ended up being killed. Most of the ones who were not killed were chased their whole life by the government. The New Testament, every single one of these apostles, except for John, every single one of them died trying to spread the gospel. Jesus, wouldn't you say that Jesus would be a good, a good blueprint for the Christian life? I know this is an intense message, but work with me. If Jesus is the Son of God, if we're to be Christians, then why is it that Jesus never had a home? Why is it that Jesus didn't have a place to lay his head? Why is it that Jesus was, was lied about and treated badly by his family? Why was it that Jesus' friends, all of them, ran out on him when he truly needed him most? Why was it Jesus, who was the one who simply had to borrow, not even a horse, but borrow somebody's donkey to come in to Jerusalem to be killed just a week later? If it's really God's plan that we have enough money and that all of us are healed, all of us have good health all of the time, then it's probably the case that the Christians around the world now and previous to the United States of America were totally out of God's will and were sinning. And for those of us who may have a little bit of money, we're the ones who are right. This next clip that we're going to look at, it's from India for a couple years ago. Uh, I would encourage you to brace yourselves for this video and ask yourself the question, is what is taught by many preachers on so-called Christian television, would that work here? Let's roll the clip. For the last year, I've been, uh, been hearing about the persecution of the pastors and the missionaries and just the Christians in general in, uh, in India and in the Orissa area and my heart's been stirred toward it 
but just recently I saw a video of some of the persecution and I just wasn't ready for it. understood what was going on over there and then I saw the video and I wanted to throw up when I was done watching it. it. It caused me to question everything in my life. I mean literally everything. Everything about me, everything about church. I mean when I saw these men of God literally being beaten, I, I've never seen someone being beaten to death. I've never seen people getting mobbed and literally, I don't, I'm not sure that I've even seen death in, in, in a violent manner. And, and when it's the real thing, it, it, just, uh, it just makes you sick. You, 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 you knew it was going on, but to see it, it, it just, uh, it, it, I, I can't explain it. to think of people that may lift me up because I have a gift of communication or, or some other Christian who has an ability to sing or play an instrument and how we lift these people up as our heroes or great writers or when these are the ones that uh, in their lives look like Christ and See, when we make a, a popular author or speaker our hero, then it's easy to go, oh yeah, I want to become like him. But then when we look at these martyrs and these people who really have died for the gospel, if we lift them up to be heroes, we have to constantly ask ourselves, do I want to be that? When I talk to the people in India that are going through it, they're not asking for money, they're just asking that we remember them, that we would pray for them because they're saying many people are converting out of Christianity, out of fear, because people are saying, look, if you get out of Christianity, we won't do this to you. And so people are scared and, and so they're saying, would you just pray for us for courage? And I don't know what emotions go through your mind when you see some of these images but what they're asking for is would you channel that toward prayer for us I mean you've listened to me speak for three or four minutes could you spend the next three or four minutes praying for our brothers and sisters in India seriously praying for them What we just saw has been extremely normal since Jesus, since Jesus told his followers to go <clears throat> into all the world. And uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry. I wanted to show something from Iraq because it's happening right now. But I couldn't. It's all too graphic. You saw videos of a young man and they, they were forced to make gunpoint to recant the name of Christ. And he said, we'll let you go. And then once he said his allegiance to Allah, they, they 
beheaded him with a machete. One, to show something's happening right now, but the bodies of children that have been beheaded? Their only crime was say, I'm a Christian. I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and I trust Him. May God forgive us. I have a car. It's a 1999 Toyota Camry. I have a car. I'm rich. If you got here today in a car, you're rich compared to the rest of the world. This is normal. And so may God change our hearts when we come and we support the type of false gospel preaching that it's all about me and my life and facing my problems and me, me, me. Because when you pull the cover off of that so-called gospel, it's simply an idol and we're looking in a mirror. That's all it is. It's the idolatry of self. But the gospel is that Jesus Christ, who is the righteous one, the perfect one, came and lived a spotless life, a morally perfect life, and he died on the cross, rose from the dead, and if we place our faith in him, we can be changed, set free, and saved. And so the invitation today is a little bit different. As Fred comes up here, and we're going to have an invitation here in just a few moments, for those of you that close up your purses, and so let that sit right now, please. The invitation today is this for us all over the room. I'm just going to open up the front. If you need to be saved, I'll be here. I'm going to be praying for a little little while. I'm going to kneel down and pray as well. If you need to be saved, trust Christ. If you want to join the church, you can do that today. If you need to be baptized, that's awesome. We can do that. But the major invitation today is that we pray. We get up out of our seats. don't care what people think. And we pray for the Christians in Iraq. We pray for the Christians in India. We pray for the Christians in Africa. That this very moment, they have no amendment. They have no protection other than God. And we need to pray for our president. And I applaud President Obama for taking action to defend the innocents. We need to pray for our leaders. We need to pray that they have wisdom. But we need to ask that for those believers, like that young man that was placed on death's door and said, if you do not recant the name of Christ, we will kill you. May it be that if we are ever in that situation and we are shaking so bad, we cannot control ourselves, that we will quietly, as our voice quakes, recite the Lord's Prayer. Go down preaching.